Hello and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm Warren. And I'm Michael. Oh boy, how was your Thanksgiving, guys? Have you gained some weight? I uh, think I gained a few pounds. Did you? Yeah. I, I think I did too, but I went kind of light the next day. I definitely paid for it. Uh, I ate a little too much bread. You know, bread is always hard for me to lay off, man. Homemade rolls I know, and I know. stuff that's, that's with the big cinnamon one for me. butter. Oh my god. I know, so I love bread and butter. I love bread and butter. <sighs> I can't help myself. Especially, like, my wife's been making bread, and it's just like, oh, how do you how do you say no to some fresh, like, sourdough bread that your wife just made? You and it's warm, man. comes out of the oven, then you put some nice room-temperature butter on that. Oh. oh, man. And the smell of bread being made is, like, heaven. Like, if I could wake I up to one smell every day, it would just be bread being made. Even if I don't eat it, I just want to smell it. I just want to smell it, and just it just puts you in a good mood. I think That's it goes right. back. I think it goes all the way back to like when I was a kid and my mom used to make bread because she only made bread on like special occasions. So it was already a good day. And then I would wake yeah. up smelling bread and I'm like, you know what I'm saying? So my brain would naturally make those connections like, oh, smell of bread, good day, people coming over. You know, <laughs> you know, it's just funny how things like that happen. Somebody who, you know, maybe got in a car accident the day that they woke up and smelled bread, maybe hates the smell of bread. That's right. You know? Uh, so. Yeah, was it? I think it it was um, pine. I I have a weird thing with pine where it kind of makes me nauseous because I had a, I I had a lot of injuries growing up because I was just always stupid doing stupid stuff, and at one point I had to have surgery on a broken arm and they asked me they gave me all these different options for a smell for what what to go under the gas you know the gas they put you under you can actually yeah. get scents right and I picked pine for whatever reason <laughs> and so like. <laughs> No, I just equate that with like getting put to sleep and like I felt nauseous after surgery, obviously. So this those things whenever I'm like around too much pine scent, I get kind of nauseous. Oh man. Man. I, it kind of sucks that our scent is true crime pine. And I live huh? in the mountains, so I have to smell pine a lot. <laughs> yeah, we got true crime pine as our scent and it's making you nauseous. Yeah, but here. true nah, crime pine doesn't really smell like pine strong. It's, not it's just like more pine. of a sweet, delicious yeah. smell. Yeah, pine is a part of the scent. It's not all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So cool, this man. crime line for this episode we're doing this week, I was up very late doing it. I'm quite tired. And a lot mm-hmm. of that is my own fault because Mike Tyson happened to fight last night when I was right. working on this. So I, of course I had to watch that. Of course. Um, so of course. that Even was it ended in a draw though, but still a, a that pretty was good some show. bullshit. Everybody knows Mike Tyson won. Yeah. I love Roy on. Jones as well, but everybody knows if you watch that fight, Mike Tyson won. You can see yeah. the live betting odds at the bottom, and it got he- more and more heavily in Mike Tyson's favor as the fight went on. But of course, they want to build up a rematch and all that. You know how boxing can be. And plus, it was an exhibition, quote unquote. So, but Mike looked good. Uh, Roy, I was surprised at the. I thought Roy would be in better condition and and not have a problem with gassing out. Yeah, and he looked. Mike he looked might, leaner than Mike. He looked leaner, but he got tired a lot quicker than Mike Tyson yeah, did. I know that's what's surprising to me. I feel like you know. Typically, it looked like Mike was carrying on a little extra weight. Yeah. Well, shit, he lost 100 pounds. There were, I mean, we could talk about this all day, but Mike, he was he had completely abandoned that life um, yes. of being this, you know, one of the best fighters in the world. And He hated that was, part of him for a while. Yeah. Yeah, he completely abandoned it. He didn't want to reawaken that. He, would, he refused to work out because he knew that this would happen. Um, and then his wife, I think it was his wife pushed him to work out because he was so out of shape and unhealthy. Yeah, that he started to like run on a treadmill, and that was it. Like as soon as he did that, he awoke. He awoke the beast inside of him. And <laughs> next thing you know, he's setting up a fight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but awesome. you know what though? He's handling it well now. He's you can tell he's a much more matured fighter. Like yeah, yeah. he's still got an animal Dude, inside of him, but he knows when to shut it off now. 
you have to respect his his honesty. That that dude is truly like genuine when he does interviews and stuff. Like he's yes. completely telling you like, he'll tell you he's afraid. You know, like uh, yeah, I'm hell super afraid to fight. That's why I chose to do it because I do things that make me afraid. He was right. interviewed right before the fight, and it was so cool to see how his you know brain processes things. He's like, I haven't fought in 15 years. You think I want to do this? <laughs> right, exactly. But here exactly. I am. But he feels like an obligation to give back now, I think, because of his success. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and he's so doing he, it for charity now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, That's his number awesome. one priority is just to win money for charity, which is awesome. It's absolutely mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. So, I, so I, I have was, no qualms about that. It was cool because I had my 11-year-old niece staying over, and like we do it every year around Christmas time, she comes over, stays the night, we watch Home Alone, and we do the decorations and stuff. And Yeah. So I had the fight on on my phone, and I was like, giving her the whole history you know she's 11 so the last time mike tyson fought she wasn't even born right so showing her highlights of mike tyson knocking people out and roy jones all his knockouts and stuff and she got really into it it was fun <laughs> yeah having a little bit of background about fighters and seeing seeing some highlights i think could turn about anyone into a boxing fan it's the highlights right. man it's just when you're coming into a room and it's in the middle of the match and they're hugging you know they're locked up hugging each other because it's like round four or five yeah then it's like why do you watch this? and they're 50 seems... something years old now yeah so. and they're 50 <laughs> yeah give them a break man they they Mike look Tyson's great one year younger than my dad yeah they look great all all cons- all things considered they look oh, great no. and they fought great I wouldn't want to run into him in a parking lot. Oh, you know what hell I'm no. God damn. Even yeah. if yeah, even if I was a fighter at, at 30, I still wouldn't want to run into him in a parking lot. So, yeah, when I pulled up Mike Tyson's highlights, he has a highlight video, just his knockouts on YouTube. It's It was uh, 18 minutes long, I think. Yeah. Or was it? Yeah, I think it was 18 straight minutes of just him knocking people just out. Just people he's, knocking out. He's every... had like 47 knockouts. So yeah. it's just like, <laughs> imagine having that highlight reel. Oh my God! That's that, amazing. You talk. I mean, there's no wonder he feels like an animal. I mean, with that kind of highlight reel, you would have to. You would right. have to have that that crazy ego, that pride that he talks about how he tries to keep under wraps. But right. I mean, I mean, that's there's nothing more man's man than fighting. I mean, that's just yeah. what that's just how it is. And when you're the best at it, it's going to be really it's like hard the oldest not sport, to have an ego. dude. Hand to hand combat. Yeah, oldest sport, no doubt. All right, we better, All right. we better get off of this boxing before we get one star. We're going down to Nolens. Going That's down true. Again. We're going to Nolans. Nolans. Yeah. We're back to Nolans, guys. What are y'all doing down there in Nolans? Hmm? And we got a little, we got a little uh, North Carolina in it too. It's like we can't make it through an episode without there being at least one uh, <laughs> trip to North Carolina or Vegas. It's it always comes back to one of those, if not that, both. That's the stipulation for our case picks. No, it's never that. Like it's just, <laughs> no, it's it, I'm just doing the crime line. I'm like, there it is. Like, there it is. It always catches me off guard. There it is. <laughs> Let's dive into it.
had no right to close the book on her life, but I did. But if you follow the address, you will find the mess. This is not accidental I had to pay for the life I took It's far too late to be sentimental I had no right to close the book on her life But I did This is not accidental I had to pay for the life I took It's far too late to be sentimental I had no right to close the book on a life Our case this week was a case suggestion. That's two weeks in a row we've done a case suggestion. So look at us listening to just, listeners. Yeah, See, you know what? We do it. We Sometimes do it. out of desperation, we're like, we haven't come up with anything, and we're like, yeah, let's let's look through our suggestions, and we find gold, well, and we should lean on it more well, because a lot of times we just think we can find better stuff. I guess I don't know. Well, what you know what I've noticed that we've been doing the podcast long enough now. I think people. We have a big enough catalog. People kind of know what we're looking for. They kind of, they're like, okay, out of 100 plus episodes, I think we finally know the kind of cases these guys are looking for. So it's most of our case suggestions now are pretty spot on. I'm like, yeah, we could cover any of these, which yeah. which in theory sounds like a good problem to have, but it, it actually makes it very difficult to pin down and find <laughs> and figure out That's which true. ones are the best and which ones you want to do, you know, because you, you, we, we're almost getting bombarded with good suggestions now, which is a, no gr- which is a great thing, but... Yeah, a lot of suggestions get left out because of we it. We could be professional for once and actually like schedule the cases we're going to do ahead of time. Oh, but but that wouldn't know. that wouldn't be us, you know? That would not be us. Well, like we've talked about before, we have to pick a case based I, off our mood in that week. Yes, we just did a we actually just did a Patreon uh, Zoom call with a, a few ten dollar a month patrons yeah. and hung out with some people. Shout out to to Sam and Seth. Yes, thank you guys so much for joining with. us. 
Yeah. And we talked about this, about how week to week, it's almost, it, it's worked out in a way to where based off the case we just covered and based off the mood we're in, that's kind of how we pick our next case. We don't want to schedule things ahead of time because I don't know, it, it just, this is the way we like to do it because we want to be into the case we're doing. That's right. That enthusiasm uh, is very important to keep the energy up in our case. And if we have been looking at a case for, for two, three months in advance, we get pretty burnt out on it. And we've tried this before. We have tried this yeah. this technique. Yeah. We've tried no planning doubt. out weeks in advance, and it just seemed like the, the further back a case was planned, the less enthusiasm was expressed during What ended up happening was, like you said, we'd be burnt out on it by the yep. time it came to that week. And then a lot of times we would end up changing to a different one. We're like, I don't even want to do this one anymore. Right. <laughs> we yeah. would change it anyway. So Exactly. Exactly. So big shout out to Missy Kabik on Instagram who gave us this suggestion. Um, and it's a great case to cover here. It's It's got some, the conclusion to it is very gruesome. So heads up on that. It's a little Jeffrey Dahmer-esque. Yeah. You know, some, some body parts details. in an oven and whatnot. I know some of y'all are licking your, licking your chops and rubbing your hands <laughs> together, but... uh Right. Some of you are fretting, but it's okay. It's like Thanksgiving came all over yeah. again. <laughs> more Jeffrey Dahmer type esque things. <laughs> yeah, right. Say yeah, no right. more. <laughs> I'm in. Right. Um, so yeah, there, there's a very gruesome conclusion, but then there's also it's a love story, and also the main character in this, a guy named Zach Bowen. It's fascinating his life because he was. It seemed like he was always, I guess you could say, in the wrong place at the wrong time, on, uh, in a sense, the world stage. He just kept being at the the center point of like these crazy events. Like he right. was, he joined the army in, in like 2000, and in 2001 came and 9/11 hit, and he went off to war in Iraq because of 9/11. Yeah, and then he ends up in New Orleans when uh, Hurricane Katrina hits, and it's just like all these things kind of made. He was a sensitive person. And these things kind of drove him crazy. It seemed like yeah, like we talked about before, he reminds me a lot about uh, a lot of Joshua Maddox from The Boy in the Chimney. Uh, very yes. similar, very similar personalities. Very easygoing, you know, sensitive, sensitive guys, artistic, uh, lots of friends, very friendly, and then just certain events in their life. Well, with Joshua Maddox, it was uh, more of a, a spontaneous type of event. He didn't. I don't think he really, uh, you know, he didn't make the decisions right. that. Uh, Zach did as far as going into the army, moving to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Like so Zach did make those decisions. You know, so you so some of the yeah. the blame and responsibility has to go there. But Joshua's was a little more out of his control. Um yeah. but nonetheless, very similar characters and it's it's just crazy to see what these circumstances turned Zach into from what yeah, he Yeah, and was. I think it's be- it is because Zach was the type of person he was that it affected him more so. Mm-hmm. Than, than the average person. He was, like you said, a very sensitive... He wrote poetry as a teenager and stuff like... Right. He was a musician, very different. A drummer. I think he played drums. Yeah. To, and so yeah. when you go off to war and you're seeing people get killed and stuff, it's obviously going to affect everyone, but it seems to affect some people even more so. Yes. And a lot of times it seems like it's the sensitive type that really... Uh, it really bothers. And so, yeah, it, it turned it gruesome in the end yes. for Zach. And so let's let's dive into uh, how this case became known. Was um, in 2006, on my birthday in 2006, October 17th. Oh wow! Around around 8:30 p.m., New Orleans police received New Orleans police received <laughs> a call from the Omni Royal Ho- uh, Orleans Hotel stating that a man's body was on the roof of the parking garage. Mm. So someone had apparently been thrown or jumped um, right. on off the building in, onto a parking garage. 
Upon arriving and seeing the severely mangled body, it was clear that the man was dead. And in the man's back pocket, they found a note, which turned this thing into headlines all over the place because what was on this note was very rare and bizarre, not your average suicide note. It said, quote, this is not accidental. I had to take my own life to pay for the one that I took. There's a lot more to this note, which we'll get into later. I don't mm-hmm. want to spoil the story completely. Right. But that that was the first line on the note was, this is not accidental. I had to take my own life for the one that I took. And they would discover the man's ID with with him. And his was this man's name was Zach Bowen, who we've been talking about a little bit. Let's dive into his childhood and, and do this chronologically. Okay. So Zach Bowen was born May 15th, 1978 in Bakersfield, California. I did not pull up birthdays, uh, celebrity birthdays. That's what I forgot. So if you want to pull up May 15th, right. celebrity birthdays, we can cover who he's. I know you guys love that. Yep. I'm looking it up right now. Zach Bowen, birthdays. born 1978 in California, was a charismatic and charming and somewhat shy. Um, he left an impression on everyone that he met. As we mentioned, he reminded us a lot of Joshua Maddox. We covered that case on Patreon, if you haven't heard it. Mm-hmm. Very interesting case. But, uh, f- you know, free-spirited soul, yeah. much like Josh Maddox. You know, long hair, liked to play music, um, loved heavy metal, but also he played drums from the time he was like four years old and guitar, and he wanted to someday get paid to play drums. That was like his big goal yeah. early on. Okay. He's got some He's got some. Uh, some celebrities here that I recognize. Uh, let's see, May 15th birthday. Uh, David Krumholtz. You guys probably Who the hell was that? you guys probably know him as the uh, the lead elf in Santa Claus, you know, with Tim Allen, you know, Bernard. What the hell? Okay. Yeah. Okay, I know exactly so, what you're talking about now, but see oh, that's there? not, see, I know <laughs> that's not what know. I was expecting. there's uh, a guy <laughs> named David Harley. He's a bassist for the war on drugs. Uh, that's kind of a newer band. Uh, Chaz Palmentier. Palmentary? Oh yeah, Palmentary. Yeah, you know him, right? He's like a he plays like a mafioso. Wasn't he like in mob movies? Yes, you got it. He's okay, seventy four yeah. years old now. Um, and then let's see, you got a tennis player named Andy Murray. Honestly, right now at this point, Zach Bowen might be the most famous of this crowd. <laughs> <laughs> he might be the most famous of the celebrity birthdays. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm uh, I'm scrolling down here and I'm not seeing uh. Giselle Fernandez, TV personality. Uh, no, man, that's that's pretty much it. All right, the elf from the Santa Claus. Yeah, <laughs> Zach Bowen's got him beat for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find. Oh man, uh, Russell Hornsby, who plays Hank who on a uh, show called Grimm. He's kind of a bigger celebrity okay. to me because I like the show Grimm. Uh, but right. but yeah, that's about it. <laughs> okay. So there we go. So Zach. Uh, Biggest celebrity of May 15th birthday. That's right. Congratulations, Zach. Yeah. So, Zach, as we mentioned, charismatic and uh, free spirit. Grew up in California and had that same laid-back attitude that you would expect from some a kid that grows up in California. Right. Um, as a teenager, he sported long hair that went far past his shoulders. He loved heavy metal music, played guitar and drums. He dreamed of being paid to play drums for a living, and he also wrote poetry as a teenager. His parents got divorced when he was a teenager, at which point he lived with his mother for a while. Um, and this, we now know he's dead, obviously. The, the story ends with him jumping off a building. Um, but there's a lot more to the story. But we have a little insight into his character from his mother who wrote on his online uh, memorial page. 
Right. And I, I, I kind of uh, took that from the memorial page to give you a little insight into what his mother felt about him and his character. She said, quote, he went on to memorize every line from Wayne's World in junior high school and tried so hard to become a skater, but he stunk at it and he knew it. He always had a smile on his face and a kind heart and oh, how he loved his music. He'd call me in to listen to the new Soundgarden album or Alice in Chains, and I have to admit it was awesome. His lost, he lost his way after Iraq, and I'm sure it was PTSD. He was a sensitive soul and didn't know where to put all this hatred and ugliness from the war. His childhood, or his children, loved him dearly, and he will never forget his kindness and love. So it's sad. To see, uh, it's a sad thing what happened to my son. So that was what his mother wrote about him on his memorial page. Hmm. And I think it encapsulates his character from what we've heard just about everybody say about him. Unfortunately, some events that take place late in his life that he does yeah. uh, are unfortunate, obviously. But and it's, he was a troubled person from what he'd gone through. Yeah, that's a, that's a great snapshot from his mother. And you can see that she places the blame on his on his uh, his war duty, right? His time in Iraq, that's where she places the majority of this blame. Talk about he didn't know yeah. where to put all that hatred and ugliness. And yeah, I think I think I could. We'll talk about to that. it, but I think it's that coupled with um, Katrina coming, and then like he he needed he needed therapy for what he'd gone through, along with the girl that he was with at the time needed needed medication yeah. and therapy as they well. They were kind of firing and gasoline they, for each neither other. Neither of them got any of that anymore when Katrina came. Obviously, they didn't have access to that stuff because they were still living in New Orleans, right? And there was they didn't even have power or electricity at their house. So we'll get into all that, but yeah, had they received the treatment they needed. I think this wouldn't have happened. But That's right. Just before Zach turned 18, he took a long road trip with his dad across several states to visit some famous party locations. <laughs> Sounds like a fun trip to take right? with your dad. That's an interesting relationship. I could never see my, myself doing that with my dad when I was 18. I'm sure if they uh, were, I'm sure if they mentioned every spot they hit, they would definitely have Vegas, right? I mean, how do you go? Yeah, how right? do you go there look you go. at party locations and not hit <laughs> Vegas like you? Surely you. But how much? I feel like it's it's a little early to do that because he's not even eighteen yet. And what is he? How's he going to get into any fun places? Any fun party? He can't go to bars or anything if they card him. He's Uh, not getting in. That's true. That's true. And he is from California, so he's probably seen Vegas a few times, anyways. Yeah, that's very possible. Yeah. So one of the final stops on their trip, this trip with him and his father, was New Orleans. No. Zach Zach fell in love with it. He loved New Orleans, um, and he decided that's where he wanted to live. And he actually dropped out of high school at this time and moved there, and his father came with him. So he's now living in New Orleans, and he becomes a bartender out there. Yeah. Plenty of work for the bartender. Living the I life. He liked the party life. Yeah. Yeah. Why not, man? And plus, it's a good way to take your mind off something. Bartenders work long hours, man. And they work oh, yeah. weird hours, too. And I think it was... And not to mention the access to booze constantly, which would help keep your mind off all the shit you've seen in the war. No doubt. You know? So it's it seems like it would be a, a pretty... Well, he hadn't typical. gone off to war yet, Mike. Oh, yeah, that's true. Wait a minute. Really? Oh, yeah. 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 So he was only 18. All yeah. right. Good point. Good point. But I think he always, uh, like we said, he's a free spirit. I think he always liked meeting new people and hearing stories, and he liked to drink, and that never seemed to change. Yeah. Well, um, so I mean, he bartender seemed like a good life for him. Yeah, but you can't bartend at eighteen either. That's right. true. But it, that, that's well, he would. I've said he became a bartender, but that was as he after he moved to New Orleans, he kind of went to school for it and became a bartender when he turned old enough to to bartend. Okay, so he's in New, New Orleans for at least three years there. So yeah, yeah, he did make a commitment. He did have that well, was quickly his new home. after. Quickly after he moved to New Orleans. 
he meets uh, he meets a girl that kind of changed everything for him. Um, so not long after he moved to New Orleans when he was still 18, he met and started a relationship with a 28-year-old uh, woman that worked as a stripper at the time named Lena Shupak. Mm-hmm. Lena was from Dallas but had traveled around to different clubs um, and it ended up in New Orleans where she was currently working when Zach met her. Um, and it, it see, the, the thing is the, the a lot of the articles and whatnot that I've read say that he was working as a bartender at this time. Maybe... I don't know what what are the laws what are the age for drinking in, in New Orleans you would think it'd be 21 right but maybe in the early 2000s yeah maybe, maybe he had a fake ID I don't know what was going on but it seems like he was in fact working as a bartender yeah maybe you he could was 21 down maybe there. you could sling drinks at 18 you just couldn't get caught consuming him maybe yeah, maybe know. if you were a, yeah an adult not old enough to drink you could still serve drinks I don't or know or maybe they just overlook that shit was. I mean 18 to 21 it's hard to tell it's hard to tell if someone's 18 to 25 really nowadays I mean yeah. any given time depending on the person yeah so he's working as a bartender at the time when he meets Lana or Lena um and it, they hook up and they're they're hanging out and she doesn't think it's anything that serious he's really into her but she ends up going back to dallas and then he talks her into coming back to new orleans mm-hmm. and that's when it when it becomes serious because um, after she comes back to new orleans she realizes not long after that that she was pregnant Uh-oh. and she would go on to name the baby boy which she had named jack she would name him jackson mm-hmm. um but their relationship was on and off again enough that she didn't even tell zach initially that she had had the kid and he didn't know he was a father until two weeks after the baby was born. Um, and he wasn't, this was not a part of his plan, obviously. He was still a young dude, bartending, trying to enjoy his, his you know, early 20s and whatnot when a kid comes into his life. However, when he met the kid, by all accounts, it sounds like he fell in love. Right. And we did everything he could to be a you know, provider for this kid and a father in its life. Yeah. He definitely made the right decisions here. He's doing the best he yeah, can so still. He, yeah, so after meeting his his young new baby boy, Jackson, he began working multiple jobs and moved his family into a home in uptown New Orleans. So he did everything he could to provide a home and safety and and uh, be a father. Right. Then around this time that his son turned one, Zach and Lena got married. So they also choose to make it official. They get married. They're now he's, – he's now got a little family on his hands. This is uh, – Classic story, someone who's young and having a good time, and then life hits him in the face like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can relate. Yep. <laughs> so they get, they get around the time they got married, uh, a year after his son was born, they found out that they were going to be having another baby. This time it was a girl, which they named Lily. So now he's father of two children, suddenly. Mm. Um, and in order to care for them, he ended up having to become a big boy. He got his GED. And he decides to join the army for the benefits that it could provide for his family. So that is a everything tough changed. time to join the military, man. Like joining the military and then finding out your wife's pregnant is one thing, but like having two small children and then being like, "I think I'm gonna join the military." God damn. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. I just don't. I think I, I think I'm gonna join the army. And by the way, it's 2000, and we know what happens a year later. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he couldn't have. He thought it was going to be, you know, probably thought it was going to be four easy years. I'm going to get out. I'm going to have the GI Bill. I can finish my education. You know, I'll have insurance for the rest of my life through the VA hospital, and I can take care of my family. But things didn't quite go as planned. There's a a lot that can entice you when you're a young young man and uh, Mm -hmm. 
or woman and what the army has to offer a lot of times if you sign a long contract they give you a, you know a nice chunk of change up front that can really get you going and if you have a you know a baby or two babies right it can really set your family up right away yes yeah by signing that contract that's right that signing bonus yeah yeah so while in the army Zach was well respected he you know he was well liked by all of his comrades uh, he would play guitar and stuff for them and they drank a lot when they weren't, you know, actively doing what they had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2001, he was stationed in Germany and actually had his family fly out to stay with him. His, um, his two kids and Lena, he had them fly out to Germany. It was obviously rough adjusting mm-hmm. for them. It's a culture shock, right. for sure. Of course. Everybody's speaking a different language and whatnot. And then 9-11 hit, and Zach was sent off to war in Iraq. And this is where... You know, his life changes, and he sees some things that he can never unsee, and it changes him. Um, so while in Iraq, he saw things that changed him, and he ended up being uh, suffering from PTSD. One experience in particular that he told close people was that uh, when he was there, he had met a girl, had befriended her, um, and she, was en- she ended up being killed along with her whole family when her family's shop was bombed. Mm. So... Actually reminded me that story of the movie Fury with Brad Pitt where he like I forget where what he was in like Belgium or something and he this family took him in, fed him, hung out. He actually got a close relationship with a young woman there and then the building got bombed like an hour later Ooh. and they were all killed. Yeah, Damn. crazy. Wow, I haven't seen that movie, but yeah, it sounds very similar. Yes. But He's, I'm sure he saw a lot of things over there, and it certainly changed him. Um, after two tours, Zach wanted out of the Army so badly that he intentionally began to fail his multiple PT tests and was deemed unfit for service anymore. Um, and despite earning a NATO medal of, uh, in the presidential unit citation for his service, plus his commanding officer's recommendation that he receive an honorable discharge, he ended up being released with only a general discharge, which meant yeah. that he qualified for his B- VA benefits, but he couldn't get the GI Bill education benefits. Right, and that uh, is what re- probably the whole thing, that was the whole reason for going, was to get yeah. that GI Bill education benefits. Yeah, that, that was, was going to set him up and his family up. Right. Um, and that's that was a big selling point for you know his new wife, Lena, for him joining the Army and whatnot, was that he could get his education on the house of the Army. Do you think um, uh, now that was gone? You think they knew he was throwing these uh, PT tests, and they just couldn't stand for that. They're just like, we don't give a shit what he did. We don't care about the medals he earned. If he's intentionally throwing these tests, then we just can't have them. You I know? guess, but man, that, if that's if that's the way it is, it's kind of messed up. Especially considering he, you know, he did two tours. And well, that is the way it is, bro. <laughs> fought for the country, and now he's doing this. If they if they had any intuition at all you could see why he was doing is because he was suffering severely from ptsd and they needed to get him in treatment and get him out of get him out of these situations you know but they don't care about the individual person bro like come on yeah i mean i'm sorry but the evidence stacks up right i mean i feel like even veterans would tell you that mm-hmm. i don't know I might catch some hate for that but that's just how i feel i got veterans in my family and i feel like they've most of them have been mistreated at some time or another they don't give a shit about what's going on in your personal life it's you signed a document and you need you have an oath to uphold and if you can't do that right. then you're not getting an honorable discharge. Right. No doubt. So, as we mentioned this this may have been the final straw for his his new marriage with Lena. 
Um, in 2004, she filed for divorce after he was discharged from the army and no longer had his, edu- you know, GI Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, he was now back in New Orleans and again working as a bartender when he met a new girl. He met um, a woman named Addie Hall, and she was like a kindred spirit for him. She was yeah. another free spirit. She was known as a hippie. Um, she was a North Carolina native. Right she on. She was from North Carolina. <laughs> and had moved to New Orleans in 2002 where she, like Zach, worked as a bartender. So they were both bartenders, both free spirits, and they both had some trauma in their past. Right. Um, it's almost like they were binging on each other like a drug. You know in what? A sense. I feel like both of them were kind of at a point in their life where they're like, this is really all I want to do. I really just want to be yeah. a bartender and be around people and have fun. And neither one of them pushed each other to get out of that realm. Not that you need no. to. I mean, being they were a bar- like an ab- like. Go ahead. Co-enablers Yeah, is what it was like. Exactly, exactly. But not that there's anything wrong with being a bartender. I mean, plenty of people make careers of being bartenders, especially in places like New Orleans and Vegas. I mean, you could make bank being a bartender. Of course not. I mean... No, I have no problem with the way they were living no, for I felt like know, a long they, time. I, it's just it spiraled out of control and... Yeah, but I felt like other people in their lives up until they met each other did have a problem with that is what I'm trying to say. Like other people in their lives, maybe their parents or you know, exes and things like that. They wanted them to to be more and to go, but that's not really what they wanted. They just wanted simple, free spirit lives. And these two being together kind of allowed them to have that, I think. And that's why they clicked so so well. Yeah. Yeah, so Addie had taken classes in multiple forms of dance. She wrote poetry and loved fashion. She would make her own clothes. Um, and naturally, because of, you know, just her nature, Zach was just drawn to her. Um, however, Addie had bipolar disorder, which she struggled with. And when she drank, it seemed to come out in uh, violent fashion. She was known to be very violent when she drank. Right. And she, like Zach at the time, drank often. Um, so it was a bit of a, it could be a tumultuous relationship at times and toxic. Yeah. When they both drank, they were loud and rowdy and could stuff could that. happen. They both did a small stint in jail for different things. I think she, like... I want to say she pulled a gun on someone at one point um, in New Orleans, right. in the French district, the French Quarter. Yeah, um, and spent a night or two in jail. He spent a night or two in jail for being found with a pack, of, uh, you know, sack of weed on him. Oh, but I mean, Bullshit. a lot more mild than the gun. <laughs> yeah, a gun on somebody. Yeah, really, really. Um, during this time, after shortly after meeting Addie, Zach called his mother and told her that he had met the love of his life and that she was just like her, his mother. Um, he reminded her so much of his mother. Hmm. Um, I guess his mother was also a free spirit and very um, artistic and everything else. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. So things are going along okay. You know, he's got this. Lo- the, he's met the love of his life. Um, then once again, a, 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 like a life changing event happens, and he's there for it. He's living in New Orleans when Hurricane Katrina hits. Hmm. Um, and it's when Hurricane Katrina hits, he he and Addie decide they're not going anywhere. You know, everybody else, like, just about everybody else is fleeing, and they stayed put. They decided they were just going to try and ride it out at Addie's apartment. She lived, fortunately for them, she lived in the French Quarter, which was the one of the few places that were actually yeah. above sea level. It's only didn't ten, get it's only much ten effect foot. from the flooding. It's only ten foot above sea level, which is crazy. But I mean, that's plenty. Um, that's ten feet less of water to destroy everything, that's, though. That's exactly that. right. I mean, yeah, it's huge when you're talking about a flood, but it's still, yeah, uh, you know, it's not like it's up a city on a hill up here in the French Quarter. Eighty percent, eighty percent of New Orleans uh, got destroyed or was underwater, and the French Quarter was yeah. about the only place that wasn't. 
Yeah. So they got lucky in that sense that mm -hmm. uh, Addie's apartment stayed intact and they wrote it out. They continued to live there in the aftermath and they set up like it was kind of like they were camping. Like they set up out in front of the building. This was a ghost town at this point where it was just like drifters who had, had their homes and stuff destroyed, right. would wander through. And Zach and Addie became famous during this time for making drinks for passerbys, feeding people and doing anything they could. And they just made it into like a, a fun place to be. Um, and this was like a life that was like cut out for them. They fell in love during this time. Um, they had no electricity. Um, they mm -hmm. were living by candlelight and just partying every day. Essentially, they were like doing barter with people, you know, they would trade yeah. drinks for food and things like that. And they were actually covered in several magazines. Like the New York Times did a piece on them and you can see like pictures in them and, and read the article about them at the time where, you know, they were this free spirit couple that stayed in New Orleans yeah. during the hurricane and made it through. And now they were just living that life now. Right. I could do that, man. I could make it off that system. I could see the draw there. Yeah. I could see the draw there. Just kind of having what you need to get by and bartering and trading and, you know, meeting yep. new people and working together. Yeah, I could do that. Yep. But I could also see how yes. going back to reality could be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it could be hard after that. After yeah. you've been to war and seen that life, yep. and then you <clears throat> make it through Hurricane Katrina and its aftermath, and then it's like going back to a normal life. It, it, it had to be just kind of like, what's the point, you know, I'm sure, for Zach. Yeah, yeah. When you've already lived yeah. in these extreme situations where you've lived with just the bare minimum uh, of essentials of life, you know, barely scrounging for food and drinks and whatnot. At, at war, it's kind of like that at times, I'm sure. Right. Um, in Iraq, in its early days, it was a, a chaotic mess, um, and he was there for that, and then you go through Katrina. Yeah. Went through a lot. So... During Katrina, Zach's ex-wife had uh, left the area and had been in a shelter in Texas with his two kids. And she had been trying to contact him, but obviously, you know, he's living in New Orleans. He doesn't have the means to connect. Nor do I think at, this, at that time was he interested in connecting. She wasn't able to reach him, and she had no idea what had happened to him during Katrina. Probably not. Uh -huh. He probably didn't care either way at this point. He seems like yeah. he's kind of moved on. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't care about his kids. I'm sure he had full intentions of reconnecting with his kids and having a relationship there. But as far as right. as far as the ex, I think she's she's completely out of his mind at this point. He's found the love of yeah. his life. True. So, but as you mentioned, the party had to end at some point, and friends said that the return to real life for them put a lot of strain on the on the relationship. And it brought out the issues and the trauma that they hadn't really dealt with, which they should have been, you know, which they couldn't because, you know, therapy wasn't really available, as we mentioned, with them living in New Orleans following the aftermath of Katrina. They didn't have therapy, and she wasn't, um, Addie wasn't taking her bipolar medication during that time. She didn't have access to it. Right. I mean, and they so wouldn't be able to afford to it, life, I would think, at right. that time, right? No. Or get access to it. Right. You know, where's the clinic or yeah, yeah. pharmacy to get it? Very good point. So when Lena and the kids returned to New Orleans uh, following Katrina's aftermath, Zach tried to reconnect and spend time with his kids, um, but Addie was not happy about this. She may not have even really known about his kids and whatnot. He may not have even told her. We're not sure. Mm -hmm. um, but either way, she was not really into that life. She was not trying to be a stepmom and have the kids come to her apartment and yeah. you know play that role. Yeah, She was not into it. 
Um, so she would make Zach get hotel rooms um, when his kids, when he wanted to see his kids, so that he could go to the hotel and spend time with them there, because mm-hmm. she wanted nothing to do with it. Um, and so by 2006, that was what was kind of going on, and they were their person, their their relationship was rocky yet again because returning to normal life was was tough. They'd lived this free spirit lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, after Katrina, no electricity, living by candlelight drinking, and every, every day was a, a fun kind of almost camping trip, if you will. Right. But now reality was back, and by 2006, Zach and Addy, Addy's regular drinking and partying led to led down the road of cocaine. They became regular cocaine users, and their relationship deteriorated to the point that they were allegedly, according to their friends and acquaintances, arguing constantly. Um, and it seemed like this should have been the end for the relationship, but the, instead they put a little Band-Aid on it, uh-huh. their solution to their problems at this time during their rocky relationship was to get a new apartment together. Oh, okay. So Go, move in together. Yeah, get a new commitment together. That's what you should do. Yeah. 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 If you're not if you're not making it now, just just get another financial commitment. So that'll definitely be the glue. You know? Yeah. I love people who, who do shit like that. Or like they're they're struggling and they're like, let's have another baby. I'm like, what? What what are you <laughs> what world is this? What are you doing? That's let's not gonna bring another life into this mess. Yeah, that's not gonna help at all. Like, what are you doing? Right. Oh man. Yeah, so I think possibly what was going on before was Addie didn't feel the pressure of Zach being around. She she was a person who didn't let people in real close to her because uh, I did read that she had been molested as a child and that was part of the trauma okay. you know, that she was dealing with. So they both had PTSD in a sense. Right. Um, she was dealing with that and maybe hadn't fully dealt with it. Um, and was t- you know, she, she found it hard to let people in close to her. You know, she had a lot of friends and whatnot, but they were... They weren't like deep connections that she had with people. Um, I got you. And I think maybe when she was living with Zach, it was her apartment. He was staying with her. That was different than what they got into now, where they got into apartment together. They were both on the lease, and that made that pressure of now she's stuck with him. You know, she can't just ditch out and uh, kick him out if she if she wanted to. I think that that kind of was too serious for her. Oh, okay. That's a good point. That's a good point. I never thought about that because before, legally, she could say, get out of my apartment. Yeah. Whereas now... Yeah, it was hers. It's not. It's his apartment just as much as hers. Mm-hmm. And he probably also wanted to play a role in decorating and what kind of furniture they have and all that stuff. And you know, maybe that was just too yeah. much for her to give up those comfort zones. Yeah. And where it was was, was very interesting. And uh, there's a lot been a lot of speculation since this... this uh, case because of where their apartment was so how this happened was you know their their relationships on the rocks they're walking down the street they're walking down rampart street um and they come across a for rent sign at 826 rampart street above the famed voodoo temple at the time it was uh, available immediately um and within months of tips in their pockets so they had a bunch of money in their pockets from bartending they moved in immediately and this is above a, a kind of a famous location in New Orleans at the time, the Voodoo Temple, it's still around, but it's moved down the street since. Yeah. But they moved in above it. You know, it's it's like a... Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of emphasis put on Voodoo with this case. Yeah. Like people, there's a lot of people who blame Voodoo and Black Magic for this entire thing. Uh, right. There was a, There's actually a documentary on YouTube, and I just cut it off because I was like, ah, I see where this is yeah, going. It doesn't... Did you watch it? It doesn't hold water. Yeah. It, it doesn't. It doesn't hold water. I was like, I'm not even going to pollute my brain with all this shit right here. Now, I'm not ruling it out completely. Like, does voodoo work for some people? I'm sure it does. I'm, and I'm yeah. sure there are some 
some things that are very convincing as far as it. But as as this case goes, man, there was so much leading up to this. They were just, yes, exactly. Yeah, it, it's, they, what happens happens shortly after they move into this apartment, yes. and there was so much. Like you said, you're just looking at the tip of an iceberg here as far as them moving into the apartment and this happening. Right. There was so much more to it. Man, I'm looking at photos of this voodoo temple online. It's pretty dope. Though. Yeah, it's pretty creepy, right? Yeah, it's pretty legit. I would love to go in there and look around. Oh my yeah. gosh, that's a cool place. Yeah. So they they get this apartment together above the voodoo temple. They barely get settled in, however, when Addie went to the landlord and asked for the lease to be in her name and her name only. <laughs> she allegedly had just discovered that Zach was cheating on her and decided that this was the last straw and that she wanted him out. Was there any proof of that, though, that Zach was cheating on her? Or is that just what she know. did to get him off of the yeah, lease? Yeah, just kind of, that's, that's, oh, that's everywhere you see in articles and whatnot, is that she... But she may have known about him cheating before they even got it together, but that was just her excuse to, you know, she decided she had made a mistake in signing a lease with him. Or maybe he didn't cheat at all, and she that was That's just her excuse. Possible. Because I can't find yeah. no evidence of that anywhere else. Right. That's what she told the landlord, so I'm right. guessing that's where that came well, from. Well, you're going to need a legit excuse. there's any validity to it. If you're going to the landlord with that kind of proposal, you got to have a legitimate excuse. The landlord can't just kick someone out for no reason. Honestly, they can't yeah, they even signed, kick them out for they that. They signed the lease with you. Yeah, you can't even kick them out for domestic disputes. I mean, that's that's not against the law for him to have an affair. Yep. You know, sorry. Yeah, so the landlord, you know, as we're talking about, said there's not much we can, I can do about it. He asked that Addie sort it out herself in hopes that they would get back together and things would settle down and they would keep paying their rent and that would be that. But when Addie told Zach that she wanted him out, he became angry and inconsolable, which leads to why we're talking about this case. Um, she tells him to get out and he... Doesn't take it well. He does not no. take it well at all. Yeah. So on October 5th, 2006, at around 1 a.m., Zach strangled Addie Hall to death. In a drunken stupor, he fell asleep next to her corpse on the futon, then later claimed that he committed necrophilia um, and got up the next day and went to work. So mm. he, he uh, strangles her, and then he kind of just he, doesn't know what to do at that point, I think. I think he, maybe he didn't plan this too far ahead of time because you can see by his actions that he, he didn't – I think he realized right away – He's like, damn it, why did I do that? I love this girl. Yes. And I agree with that 100%. Now her body's there and he doesn't want to turn him, he doesn't want to get rid of it. It's like he wanted to, he still loved her in a weird way. It's like, I feel like that's why he kept living with her, her body yeah. for days on end. I agree. He regretted this deeply. Mm hmm. Um, so following October 5th, you know, he's going about his normal life and his coworkers say that he, he was acting odd at the time. He was wearing sunglasses and a hat and became very quiet. Over the next several days, Zach cut up Addie's body in the bathtub with a hacksaw and knife and dispersed the pieces of her corpse into a, into and on top of the stove, um, as well as in the refrigerator. Mm. So it was days that had gone by before he does this, but then he realizes at a certain point that he has to do something. Right. Um, the body's not going to stay the way it is right. for very long. Right, um, right. But why he does what he does is just bizarre. I don't know. I, I don't fully understand it because there is no evidence of cannibalism. There was no, obviously, we know he shortly after commits suicide. So they were able to, you know, inspect his body and they didn't find any human flesh in him. Well, I think a lot of people 
thought that he did it because of getting rid of the body. Cooking the body would make it a lot easier to dispose of the body. Well, I, what I thought is maybe a little bit of Dahmer-esque in that maybe he wanted to keep her body uh, in any way that he could, and maybe he wanted to keep her skeleton. And by cooking the flesh off of the skull, oh. I, I feel like that's what it was. I feel like he wanted to keep her, her skull oh. because, like we said, he he was still in love with her, and he regretted what he had done, and he wanted to keep a memento of her in a sense. Right. Oof. Yeah, maybe. I think that's possible. Yeah, Yeah, that is possible. For sure, but there was no signs uh-huh. that he ate any any human no. flesh, right? No. So you know he he began cutting up her body. He gave her her a haircut and placed her head inside of a pot on the front of the stove. Placed her feet and hands inside of another pot on the back burner of the stove. Her legs and arms in a roasting pan inside of the oven, and finally her torso in a black plastic bag in the refrigerator. Mm. So just an absolute macabre scene here oh, in this God. apartment just absolutely horrendous some stuff that the police would later find and you know you hear the classic thing that sometimes police officers say where they, they can never unsee that that was the worst thing they've ever seen in yeah 30 plus years of doing police work um and they probably needed therapy after that as well oh of course of course <clears throat> but as we said many speculated after this became public publicly known that there was cannibalism involved but later um Zach's autopsy reports confirmed that there were no signs of him consuming any of Addie's flesh. Right. Addie's friends and coworkers following, you know, Zach killing her and still living with the corpse and whatnot. Not, no one knows yet what had happened. They had been asking where Addie was, and he told them that she had left him and went back to North Carolina. This didn't make a whole lot of sense to them. But they, we mentioned Zach and Addie had this free, free spirit lifestyle, so right. her being missing for a few days wasn't a huge concern. Right, right. Um, And that leads us back to the beginning of this case, where on Tuesday evening, October 17th, 2006, this was nearly two weeks after the murder and dismemberment of Addie, Zach Bowen went out with a friend, spent the last of his money, uh, I believe he withdrew the last $1,500 he had, and blew it all, we'll hear what he blew it on in his own words in a minute, before jumping off uh, the top of a hotel from the seventh floor, the Omni Royal uh, Orleans Hotel, to his own death. And we'll get more into the notes and stuff now that he left, that we alluded to earlier. Right. He left a handwritten note and his army dog tags inside of a plastic bag in his back pocket and the gate keys to Addie's apartment, well, his apartment as well, in his front pocket. The letter to, quote, police only, led detectives to the home of Addie and Zach's landlord for questioning. He said, quote, this is not accidental. I had to take my own life to pay for the one I took. If you send a patrol car to 826 North Rampart, you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend, Addie, in the oven, on the stove, and in the fridge, and a full signed confession from myself, Zach Bowen. Oof. And so police quickly discovered that the contents of his letter was, in fact, factual, that, you know, this was not some story. Right. Um, when they went to the apartment. They obviously walked into a, a disheveled apartment. The first thing they noticed was that the temperature and lack of smell that you would expect because he had turned the air conditioning all the way down to 60 degrees, and it was basically freezing in there, right. which obviously slowed decomposition. Yeah, I'm sure he was aware of a lot of this stuff. I'm sure he had seen dead bodies and mm-hmm. and you know burning flesh and different things like that. I think he this was something that he had thought of just to kind of keep the, keep the uh, heat off of him during this time while he's trying right. to figure out what he wants to do. So this apartment was just a, a, a really 
disturbing scene all over the walls in silver colored spray paint were the words, I love her, I'm a total failure, and look in the oven with an arrow pointing to the stove door. So really showing the shame that he had for this. And I feel like we keep painting Zach in a light that diminishes what he did. And we, I feel like we need to make a disclaimer right now that what he did was horrendous. Obviously, he killed his girlfriend and dismembered her and yes. whatnot. And there's no, there's no excusing that. Even period. with him having PTSD and being through, a lot of people go through war and have PTSD and they suffer from it and stuff. But he needed to know to get therapy and he shouldn't have done what he did, obviously. Correct. There's no taking away from it. We're just simply trying to understand how it happened. Not trying to excuse it at all. Yeah. Not trying to excuse it, trying to understand it. Right. Um, so at the scene of Addie's murder, police found her journal with writings added from Zach, quote, today is Monday, October, Monday 16th of October at 2 a.m. I killed her at 1 a.m. Thursday, October 5th. I very calmly strangled her. It was very quick. Halfway through the task, I stopped and thought about what I was doing. The decision to halt the first idea and move to plan B, the crime scene you are now in, came after a while. I scared myself not by the action of calmly strangling the woman I've loved with for one and a half years now and then desecrating her body by my entire lack of remorse. I've known for, for forever how horrible a person I am, ask anyone, and decided to quit my jobs and spend the $1,500 cash I had being happy until I killed myself. So that's what I did. Good food, good drugs, good strippers, good friends, and loose en- and any loose ends I may have had. I didn't contact any of my family, so that'll explain the shock and a fantastic time living out my days. It's just about time now. Hmm. So really confessing what was going on in his mind at the time. Yeah, there's no guesswork in this case. No. No, he explained everything in vivid detail. Yeah, he did. The thing that I don't understand is like he says, "Ask anybody, I'm a, what a horrible person I am." I don't. It doesn't sound like anybody felt that way about him. Anybody you hear the love his mother had for him and how she tragic, you know, she fused this uh, ending up, you know, and like friends and stuff said he was just a, a normal, relaxed dude. He was a cool guy, had yeah. been through some trauma and whatnot, and I don't think people felt that about him. Maybe not. Maybe not, but maybe there was another side of him that only certain sure. people saw. And for sure, for sure, his mother was not one of those people. No. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So, I don't know. Uh, many would claim later that the dark voodoo history of the location, you know, which was below his apartment at the time, had something to do with Zach's actions. But if you look into voodoo in general, it's a healing spiritual practice that is well respected in the city and not something that generally leads people to do something like this. No, no, no. And also, there was no evidence that Zach was in voodoo or believed in voodoo or had any kind of connection to voodoo. And he didn't say anything about it in his journal or his letter or nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, if it had anything to do with that or him hearing voices from below or anything like that that led him to do this, he would have written it in. Um, So allegedly, tenants of the apartment above the temple since the horrific tragedies of 2006, uh, so the people living in the apartment that this happened in, had experienced some paranormal activity, feelings of being watched, voices, and of course you would, I think we've talked about it before, but like when you're sensitive to these things because you're in a, you know, a location where some stuff happened. Right. I feel like normal noises become a lot, you know, more complex than they they really Uh, should be. Yeah, of course. And you're also talking about a very old part of town. I mean, old yes. buildings make noises. Yes, there are yes. critters living in there. Like, right. that's, that's just the way it is. Like, it's that's just, true. That's just the way it is. And like you said, you're, they're already more susceptible to that. They're already tuning in to hearing any type of, you know, discrepancies in sound or, 
or voices or whatever. So they're just they're just more tuned into it. Yeah. So that that I mean that that is generally the story of Zach Bowen and Addie Hall. Mm-hmm. However, of course, it, it got a little bit weirder because they had a good friend um, during their relationship that lived with them in New Orleans, uh, a woman named Margaret Sanchez, and she was seen following you know the discovery of Addie and Zach's deaths. Mm-hmm. She was uh, willing, more than willing, to do interviews left and right, um, where she was distraught about it. Um, and you can see her in documentaries and stuff about the case of Addie and Zach. Um, and her story gets twisted as well. So in various interviews for television and online media, brought, a light clo- uh, brought to light a close friend of Zach and Addie, a woman named Margaret Sanchez. Um, she would end up going on to plead guilty and was convicted in a 2012 murder and dismemberment of a woman named Jaron Lockhart, who was a Bourbon Street dancer and mother. So th- this this friend of Addie and Zach, who was distraught over what had happened to them, went on to kill and dismember someone. That Very is bizarre. so weird. Why? I know. That's why I don't I know. get Because her and her boyfriend did it, right? Yeah. They basically yeah, lured... So Margaret... Yeah, go ahead. Mar- Margaret and her boyfriend, Terry Speaks, uh, went to Bourbon Street to a strip club and lured Jaron to their home, where they ended up stabbing her in the chest, cutting up her body, and throwing it over a bridge resulting in Jaron's remains washing up on several different Mississippi Gulf Coast beaches. Terry Speaks would go on to be convicted of second-degree murder and was sentenced to 60 years. As we mentioned, Margaret was also um, convicted in 2012. Oh, my God. I just don't get why. Like, you just wanted to be part of the murder club? Like, what the hell is this? I know. I know. Not something at all that seemed that seemed premeditated. It's like they lured uh, her back. Yeah, maybe there was some um, sort of beef between Margaret and her or something. I don't know. You don't never know, man. Maybe maybe she tried, maybe uh, this woman tried to make a move on her boyfriend, Terry, or something. I, I don't know. It's just, yeah. it just seems bizarre that they would just pick someone randomly. Yeah. Mm. This whole case is weird. That's it, all I can it, say. It really is. It's weird. It's like, yeah. why, why did this happen? I don't understand either one. It just seems like Zach just lost control in a drunken stupor, I guess, and then immediately regretted yeah. it, and then... This lady who had been so close to this event thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. I don't know. It just... I know. I know. It's a twisted thing, man. But you know what? It's twisted. The the article that you sent me, the second part of the article, talked about how this case uh, shows an unhealthy um, obsession with true crime, right? Because they're trying to say that because this, this person who moved into the new voodoo temple or whatever now rents out not rents out that apartment but that apartment is more of like a tourist attraction and people can come in there and check it out and a lot of people are upset by that and my my only question is is why why are you upset by that are you upset by that uh because someone a, a brutal crime happened there and then now this is belittling it because if that's so we have museums all over the world dedicated to the Holocaust killers. Museum. The Holocaust Museum. I mean, the you 9/11 have... The 9-11 well, you Remo- have, Memorial. A lot well, of horrible things that have happened have right. memorial sites and... Well, I mean, even horrible things that happen to horrible people shall, still shouldn't be glorified if you don't allow this to be glorified. Like, for instance, um, Bonnie and Clyde's car still sits in a museum with bullet holes yeah. all in it. A horrible thing happened there. Two people were shot to death and their bodies were ripped apart by bullets and yet we go and look at it like it's a thing. But because this happened within, what, tw- 20 years, 
so all of a sudden now it's it's too close, it's too soon. Mm-hmm. It's like yet, but Ted Bundy's car that happened what forty years ago, which is you know twice as far, but still not that long ago, where plenty of women died in Bundy's car, right? Hit with tire irons yeah. and God knows what else, what what else he used. Oh yeah, and yet people and, and still totally innocent get, people. That, yes, you know, and people still want to go see that scene, but yet they argue that this is that this is an abomination. It's like, well, it's, it's tricky. It's, it's the tricky because you don't want to glorify it, but also there's a fascination there. Right. I'm just I saying. I, I just think the article in stating, "Oh, this shows a dark side." It's like, well, that's always been there. <laughs> that's what it is. If yeah. you're going to bring it up in this case, then you have to bring it up for all the other uh, murder museums and crime museums across the across the US across the world. I mean, it's not right. this is not just an American obsession, obviously. So, I don't know. I I didn't think that this case uh showed any more light, any more bad light on true crime enthusiasts than any other true crime case to where the site gets uh bolstered for tourism. You know, that's just my opinion. I don't know. I, I guess because it's so recent, it happened after 2000 that people feel it's a little more close to home because they can because there's a lot of people alive today who can still relate to those people and I think that's the only that's the only reason that it would be seen in a negative way that's the only reason it is being seen in a negative way yeah so we do operate in, in strange ways humans you know there's there's that people will say too soon with jokes when someone uh-huh. just dies and whatnot but if you give it like a year two years it's kind of becomes accepted it's Everything needs context, I guess, and uh, I don't know. I don't know where I stand on it. I, I do think it's odd, but it's also something that I would probably, if someone offered, like, hey, you want to do a tour of the apartment where that happened? I'd probably, out of curiosity, yes. I probably would go. Yes, you know? I do want to see that, yeah. Right. I mean, I'm sorry, I, I do. I would like to see it. Am I going to go out of my way and plan a whole road trip and go to all these? No. But if I'm in, if I'm already in New Orleans and somebody's like, hey, want to come check out this apartment where this happened? Especially after we've covered the case, I'm like yeah, I right. kind of I kind of do want to check that out. You know, I'm not going to go in there and desecrate the place and be disrespectful. I just want to look around. I mean, it's yeah. just it's just curiosity. So, all right, but that's that, man. That's that. It's a crazy case. Let's right. talk about Oh My Gaia. Yeah, let's do it. Let's then. Get onto a lighter subject. Yeah, there we go. Much lighter. Much lighter, like your deodorant. Oh well, my God. It is a very light, very light feel in your armpits, by the way. It is. It is. That's a great segment. It's not heavy. That's right. Aluminum, aluminum is light, but this is lighter. <laughs> yes. Aluminum is not the type of light you want. Not the type of metal you want to put in your armpits, nor any of them. Uh, oh My Guy is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Omagaya, they use only all-natural, paraben- and aluminum-free organic ingredients, like we said. And guys, there's tons of scents to choose from, or maybe you just don't want a scented deodorant. You can get unscented. But there's definitely a scent for you from vanilla, cherry almond, uh, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, uh, barbershop, um, sailor, a, a new scent that I love very much. Sailor, highly recommend it. Um, and, and I think Pear is now available for purchase on Oh My Gaia as well. It? Okay, good. Pear I is know. fantastic. We've been shouting out Pear for a little while, and it kind of just got added to the store. So sorry about that. But uh, guys, now everyone can have Pear. Everyone has true crime guys' ability to smell like Pears. 
But if you want to smell like true crime guys, <laughs> you can <laughs> you can listen to. I mean, you can uh, try our scent, True Crime Pine. All right, Lauren, you're distracting me. No laughing during the ad. I'm sorry. It's just the way you said that. You, too, can have the ability to smell like pears. <laughs> Use our code word now. Yeah, exactly. But we also have our own scent, okay? It's called True Crime Pine. Uh, but it's not just pine, so it doesn't give Lauren bad flashbacks. Uh, but that's available at ohmygaia.com. <laughs> that's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. And if you use our code word CREEPER, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, you can get 15% off your order. Again, that's at ohmygaia.com or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. You will not regret it. Do it. Not, guys. Do it now. All right. All right. Let's get to some quick uh, thank yous for people who have gone and read and reviewed the show this oh, yeah. past week. I want to say thank you to Tracy Beth in the U.S. said, you had me at murder. Uh, Five stars. Well, thank you, Tracy. Uh, also said she just signed up for Patreon and been di- binging, uh, listening from oldest and only one year behind at November 18th. Okay, so oh. got some work to do. Got some work to getting do. getting there. You'll get there. You'll get there. All right, then we got uh, Mel S. in Australia, mate. All right. All say right. love it. Five stars. Bunch of fire emojis. Right. Cracking good. Love it. Thank you. All right, then we got um, Mimi101X in Great Britain. Finally have my two friends back. Five stars. Uh, Finally got a new phone and have been able to listen to True Crime Guys again. Yay. Hell yeah. We missed you. Yeah, we, we did. missed you, Mimi. We missed you. We could tell that we weren't getting that extra download there uh, in the UK, and it was, <laughs> it was really bothering us. So we're glad yeah. We're glad to be back. Um, then we got Ray Says in the US. Um, five stars said, my Xmas list. My husband wanted to know what I wanted for Christmas. I told him I want a subscription to Patreon so I can listen to exclusive podcasts, particularly <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> And several others I won't mention. There Thank you, you go. For keeping me entertained. Thank you. Yeah, guys. That a, hey, that's always an option. Yeah, it's get creative. An and now you can buy it for a year. So, like, what's the average price of a gift? Fifty, a hundred dollars? I mean, fifty bucks. You can get a five dollar tier yearly subscription. You get the gold sticker. You get just the banter. You yeah. get all of our premium episodes. Yeah, exactly. Or for twenty one bucks, you get access to all of our uh, premium episodes, exclusive episodes. All yeah, every. Every fourth episode that you don't get on the free feed, you get that for two bucks. So, yep. So definitely worth it. Then we got Peyton's Papa in the U.S. said, "Great podcast. Been listening to a show a couple months now, and definitely digging it. Keep it going, fellas. Thank you, Peyton's Papa. Right on. Um, then we got Debsja eighty two okay. uh, in Great Britain. All right, you guys are great. I clean a whole <laughs> bunch of houses for a living, which helps me fulfill my weird OCD issues." But can long be long days and hard work. Listening right. to your podcast really gets me through. Appreciate what you do. Love TCG five oh. stars. Jolly good, jolly good review All right, there. Mate. Yeah, thank I you, Des, Debs J A eighty two. Then we got Bill Thick in the U S. said twenty stars, but Hell gave us yeah. five stars. Come on, man. Ah, uh, you should leave four or five star reviews. There you go. Create. You need to create three more profiles so you can get to twenty stars, bro. That's right. That'll do it. Come on, Bill Thick. <laughs> um, we got one more. Uh, not a murder, not a murderino, no more. Oh, uh, said best podcast ever. I love the podcast. I love it even more than my favorite. My favorite murder. Love the accents. I love do- listening during doing laundry. No way. Hey, that's high praise. That that's, is that's, high uh, praise. That's one of the biggest true crime shows there is. So if we're uh, above them on your personal profile, I, I, I'll take it. Yeah, that means a lot to us. Thank you. So, we talked a little bit about Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. Two bucks a month gets you access to all of our premium episodes. 
Um, we do one every four episodes, once a month. We mm-hmm. do an exclusive episode just for Patreon. Two bucks a month will get you access to that. For five bucks, you get Just the Banter, our other show where we just banter. We just talk shit. Right. And, every Friday, a um, new Just the Banter is released. That's right. Um, and also, you get a Gold Creep Band sticker, which is very prestigious. Only a select few people around the world have them. You'll probably be the only person in your town with it if you get it. Um, unless you live in, like, a big city, then there's probably yeah. a few of them out there. Yeah, unless you live in, like, L.A. or Austin yeah. or something like that, yeah. yeah. All right. But, uh, yeah, 10 bucks a month, and we'll we'll talk to you on Zoom at some point. We just did a conversation with some $10 patrons on Zoom the other day. Yeah. That was a good time, and I'm sure we'll be doing more of those. Hell, so, yeah, we yeah. got Zoom up and working, guys. It's so easy to use so if you guys wanted to uh jump on there we could even do we could technically do private conversations on zoom if we had to you know it doesn't have to be multiple patrons at a time i guess um actually i think that could be a disaster if we had too many yeah definitely i think a couple is good because it is there is a delay and there's you know there's audio issues with it but that's right that's right. So we probably probably no more than two at a time, guys. I think that's that's what we could handle. But if you guys are interested in having a Zoom call with us, please message us on Patreon um, or message us. And we'll set it up. Yeah, or you can just email us at truecrimeguys at gmail if that's easier. Either way, we both check the email and the Patreon often. So that's the best way to get in contact with us, guys, if you want to set up a Zoom call. All right. You want to talk about our other show, our other yes. True Crime Guys Productions? Yes. Check out. We have so much under True Crime Guys Productions now, guys. Check out our other show, our free show, Strange and Unexplained. It is available wherever you're listening. Yes, even where you're listening right now. If you just go and search True Crime Guys, it should pull up. You'll see two Velociraptors on the logo. Uh, Strange and Unexplained. It's where we focus on unsolved and missing persons cases. Um, And sometimes some strange cults, strange phenomena, eugenics, uh, anthrax, those are some of the off-the-wall cases that we do. I like to throw those in there from time to time. But just stuff that we don't typically cover on True Crime Guys. But again, that's Strange and Unexplained. Uh, True Crime Guys presents Strange and Unexplained. And you guys can find that anywhere you're listening. And also, there's a patreon.com slash podcast where you guys can get all kinds of bonus content and early releases for the regular shows. So There you have it. Does that do right. it? Does that do it? Uh, well, also and are check we on our merch. Patreon? We should also check oh, out our merch. Oh, merch, yeah. Talk yes, about our merch. merch. Truecrimeguys.threadless.com. Guys, we have new merch designs on there. Uh, they've actually been selling pretty well. I've noticed people have been buying some sweatshirts and some hoodies, so that helps out the show a lot, guys. We really appreciate that. And also, you know, you're sporting our designs, so that sparks conversations and, you know, gets new listeners. So we appreciate that, guys, very much. There is a link below the description to all of our merch sites, Patreon, all that stuff. Just scroll down. If you're too lazy, you don't have to type it in. It's okay. I've already done the work for you. Just scroll down there and click those links and surf away under True Crime Guys Productions. All right? There you go. Christmas is coming. That's right. Get that creeper, that special creeper in your life, a True Crime <laughs> Guys hoodie or sweatshirt or T-shirt there or whatever. There you go. Uh, are we on to Patreon next week? Is it an exclusive one? Have we done three freebies in oh, a row? Dude, I have no idea. It's, I feel like it's coming up. I feel like it's coming, it's coming. up. Yeah. It's coming. So we may or may not see you guys next week. We have to figure that out. <laughs> we'll see. We're so unprofessional. We'll see. You guys just uh, just count them. Is this the third free episode in a row? Well, if it is, then it'll be a Patreon. Yep. All right. All right, y'all. See you next. Maybe see you next week. If you are a Patreon, we definitely will one way or another. Yep. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. 
I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime, crime, in the desert we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.